folks. XQ quality, better than HQ, but no one knows what the X stands for, except for extremely good. <clears throat> Here we go. Welcome to episode 175 of Channel Massive. I'm Noah, and joining me across the state of Colorado <laughs> is Mark. Holding down the north, I'd like to think. Yes, and I'm holding down the south. <laughs> In the south! <laughs> but not that far south. <laughs> That's right, listeners, we are on Skype to record this very special Thanksgiving episode of Channel Massive. Currently, as we are recording, it is... The day before Thanksgiving, you'll likely hear this after Thanksgiving at some point. Yes. Hopefully not not very long after Thanksgiving. Not as long after if I were the editor. Certainly that's much, that much certain. <laughs> Certainly that much is certain. That's a pretty good circular reference there. I like that. Um, Certainly. Indubitably. 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 God, I can't even talk. Well, we're off to one. <laughs> You're turning Russian yet again. Yes, comrade. We're off to a good start now. Oh, I have to, I have to tell something kind of funny. Um, my accents are horrible, right? So bad that when I try to read children's books to my children, they um, tell me to stop and to talk normally. <laughs> and they're like, talk normal. And... Um, I go, it's speak normal. But anyway, um, so <laughs> my daughter's reading this, keeps wanting me to read this book that's like an English to Spanish book, and it's for kids much older, but she always wants me to read it, right? So I've convinced her that when you speak Spanish, you talk like this. And so <laughs> she lets me get away with the bad accent. So I'm like, you know, it's like, <laughs> El Matador, you know, and it's so funny. But anyway, to me, it's funny. <laughs> they finally let me talk with with one kind of an accent. Uh, like, I do not often read children's books, but when I do, I read this one, you know, things like that. So, yeah, <laughs> a little something to get out of on the table, so to speak. It's good, it's good that you have. Fans out there, your illustrious accents. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because my children sure don't like them. <laughs> I like oh, them. Thank you. <laughs> I find them entertaining. <laughs> and listeners, we hope you do too. Yeah. Let us know how much of a fan you are of Mark's horrible accent. accents. I worked it in again. Yes, yeah, a fan. You know, it was, it's the slow transition of me trying to say that all the time. It's hard. <laughs> I know you say that, but I secretly think you're not a big fan because there was a moment when. Daenerys wanted me to say something in um, with an accent, and you guys looked at each other when when she said it, as though it were a setup, as though you'd previously planned on it. <laughs> so, always a judge of you know human. Uh, human what do you mean? Uh, like uh, before or after you said something? Before it was like it was as though it were planned to draw out the worst. <laughs> That's just because I've told her many times oh, that okay. <laughs> when we get on the podcast, we go in accents. And usually if you start an accent, I'll do it yeah, yeah, yeah. too, or vice versa. That's, that's <laughs> and I've been telling her that you do a, a Russian accent, and I really wanted her to hear it. <laughs> and she has spoken Russian for a majority of her life. 
Uh, it's, it's funny. It's funny that I call her Daenerys as well, but you know that's how it goes. Yeah, and I'm sure the listeners can keep up with who we're talking about. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> well, anyway, now that that diversion is over, uh, for this show we're going to be telling you what we've been playing this last week. We have a big old email from our Scott who's deployed overseas, and then we're going to get into some roundtable discussion on developments in the future of gaming, both financially and publishing. And delivery-wise, some really interesting stuff I didn't expect so early before our end-of-the-year predictions episode, if we actually have one of those Oh, yeah, we need to. That we'll be talking about the future right before we Feel free to tell us what you're thankful for, listeners, on this special Thanksgiving moment of thought. By sending in your thoughts, comments, feedback, questions to mail. M-A-I-L. At channelmassive.com. We always love hearing from you. And also feel free to leave us a review on iTunes or give us a comment over on the website, channelmassive.com. Yes, and that's what makes our love grow. That's right. And for those foreign listeners who don't know what we're talking about with our thankfulness and our, our Thanksgiving, <laughs> it's, it's the day where we, we celebrate our, our victory over <laughs> all other, uh, countries, cultures and cultures. Indigenous peoples, things like homogenization of all cultures. Exactly, it's it's always good for for doing that. Um, So (laughs) there's there's probably some that think it's probably not the coolest holiday of all, but uh, it's kind of probably not. (laughs) (laughs) In any case, yes, let's move on. episode of Channel Massive is sponsored by UGT Service. When you order Ventrilo hosting from UGT, you get all of the powerful administration features hardcore gamers want and the ease of use that newbie gamers need. With 24-hour tech support, 13 locations worldwide, and a 15-day money-back guarantee, you'd be crazy not to check them out. Head to UGT-Servers.com for all of your Ventrilo hosting needs. This is the part of the show where we discuss what the heck we're playing. Um, as a special gift for those American listeners, we won't be discussing League of Legends. Um, in any case, well, maybe we will. Who knows? Yeah, but, I think uh, we will. <laughs> in any like, case, what? Uh, we didn't yeah. agree to that before. <laughs> no, I'm not ready. <laughs> Need more time. Um, so, uh, what have you been playing, Noah? Let's see. I had my buddy Chris over last night to play Uncharted number one and finish it and finish it. We did. And there was much rejoicing. And in spite (laughs) of people telling me about all the bad things, bad reactions I was supposed to have with the final segments of Uncharted, which has a big twist and things kind of change in the game. And there's an ending that a lot of people don't like. I thought it was all good. I mean, especially if you liked Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark, and yeah. or any Indiana Jones movies, you'll like this game, in my opinion. And then we immediately started on the second Uncharted, just to kind of see what it was like, what it was like, and then oh, we played yeah. six chapters. Holy cow, <laughs> so man, you're like going to... third of the game. <laughs> flying through that at epic speed. It's so good, especially the second one. I mean, it's it's a huge leap forward in terms of yeah. visual design and level design. It's a little bit trickier. That's not always quite as intuitive on where to go and what to do. But 
once the hints do show up, they're a lot more literal and spelled out. So it's like, all right, cool. I'll, I'll go do what you're asking. But yeah, just having a lot of fun of that, a lot of fun with that. And then we also played some 3D Super Stardust HD, which is probably the coolest 3D experience on my television just because there's fireworks and there's stars flying by like you're in warp speed in Star Wars and there's oh, asteroids cool. and everything. Oh, it's so awesome. That is cool. So there's all of that. And then there is also League of Legends, with which I played a couple games just here and there. Win, win some, lose some, but still having a good time. I actually played a couple games with Tony. Both of the games, they started out as like, wow, we're going to totally lose this. And these were regular games because, you know, Tony only plays regular yeah, well, games. Yeah, everyone knows that. Yeah. <laughs> and... Ever since we've learned the shortcut to make your character laugh and the game <laughs> added yet more fun to the experience. I want to keep that going. That's really funny to do to people. I oh, like God. That. And the thing is, he played, we played a game where he picked Wukong, which is a monkey character. Oh, yeah. Anthropomorphic monkey, for those of you who do not play League of Legends, who has this really shrill and very long, shrieky laugh that... It's partially human and partially monkey. Oh, no. And just spammed that. Just, <laughs> and he'd like be hiding in the bushes. But even when you're hiding in the bushes, if you're with, if you're both on the sc- same screen, if you and an enemy are on the same screen and the enemy does some kind of sound bite, like a taunt or a joke or a laugh, everybody hears it who's on the screen. And oh, he wow. was just doing that over and over and over. And <laughs> just like this really long monkey laugh. And it distracted me several times, and I died because of it, because I was laughing, or I just started really paying attention to it. But eventually, I just started tuning it out, and I was playing my traditional Kog'Maw character, who has a very short type of laugh that's not nearly as satisfying. But I still kept doing it anyways, just to add to the cacophony of obnoxiousness. And the thing is, is even though we were totally behind in our games we turned it around, and one of the games that was so satisfying, and it doesn't matter what games you play, if you play online games, you always run into people who are jerks, who are all like, there's this guy we were playing against who initially started off against uh, somebody else. It wasn't me or, me or Tony. Me and Tony were playing together. But this other guy's like, this is too easy. Five minutes, and he's like, could you give me a challenge? And you're saying this, could you just keep feeding me stacks, keep making my power stronger? Just things. Oh, that's so annoying. And then we finally turned the tables and killed him, and one of my teammate, one of our teammates like, how many stacks did that give you? Because <laughs> of course, that moved all of the stacks. You're like, reset to zero. <laughs> yeah. And we yeah. just started to turn around and just started whooping their butts. I mean, they'd blown away all of our towers all the way down to the base. Oh, and man. We'd only gotten their exterior towers. We hadn't gotten the interior, the first ring of towers within the base. And right. we just turned it around and pushed them all the way back down. And it was me and Timo. The thing was, is they'd actually blown away the last two turrets right in front of our nexus. So really all they had to do was let a minion wave push in and destroy it, or just run into the base and shoot it themselves. Right. Meanwhile, me and Timo, who is a stealth panda koala thing that shoots poison darts, blow darts, we, ran, we pushed down a lane that we didn't even need to push. We blew up the turret, then the turret within the base, then the inhibitor, and then we got to the final base, and and Nunu, which was the guy who was t- telling us that we sucked and had mysteriously gotten quiet for the last 10 minutes, <laughs> he came to us and we just burned through him, just burned him and burned him. Oh, that's awesome. And literally a race 
down to the last second where they had this huge minion wave that had come into our base and was beating on our nexus and everybody had left that was in the enemy base to defend our nexus where, where me and Timo, who had just stacked and stacked and stacked attack speed items, were just like, boom, 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 shoot, shooting away at their nexus. And we got it just like in the nick of time. We destroyed their nexus before their minions destroyed ours. It was so freaking epic. Oh, that's too cool. One of the awesome. Ever. So, yeah, Uncharted, League of Legends, and a lot of Deblob 2 more experimenting with my 3D television. Oh, that's cool. Just enjoying that game. It's just so well done. I'm so sad Blue Tongue, the developer, is gone. That's what I've been playing. How about you, Mark? Um, Just a quick follow-up question. On a 3D TV, are there any TV shows that are in 3D? Like, if you go, like, to... Yeah, well, ESPN. Like, On Demand and stuff? or Yeah, yeah. You can get it through, I think, through Dish or through cable. You, you can have 3D television channels included hmm. in the bundle. I know ESPN is the first one that comes to my mind. I think there's some other shows as well. Wow. I just, I'm not positive yet, but it works that's, really well. I really love it. It's, that's cool. That's pretty awesome. Um, So what have I been playing? Well, I played a little bit of League of Legends, which I won't talk about because it's all been losing. It's been nine <laughs> losses in a row and I'm becoming quite angry. Um, <laughs> it's definitely not a matter of my skill. It's just... It's the people you've been matchmade with. That's got to be it. But I, no, <laughs> seriously, I don't know what's going on. I've lost a step or something. But it's just frustrating. Um, so there's that. I'm still playing Rocksmith and really enjoying it. Um, I have a hard time sitting down to start to play it because I know that I won't stop. Um, so <laughs> it's like the last time I went to play it, I had... It was like at 10 o'clock, and I was like, okay, I'm just going to play it for an hour, and then I'm going to go to bed. And then at 2 a.m., I was like, I've got to go to bed. So, um, yeah, I'm really enjoying that game. Um, I'm getting, you know, I'm unlocking more stuff, and it's starting to play, send me harder things to play, um, some crazy chords, things like that, moving all over the fretboard. So I'm really digging it. Um, I think it's probably a really wonderful teaching game, but I'm going to find out because we're, we're doing a Thanksgiving where uh, us and another family are going to get together and, and they have kids. And so we're going to um, bring it and see how people do who've never played guitar before. So it should be interesting. Ooh. Yeah. And um, I've also been playing Skyrim, which I just really love that game. Wow. You're still enjoying it. That's yeah. great. Yeah. The first, you know, Bethesda game that's really roped me in. And uh, I'm really enjoying it. I'm taking it kind of slowly. Um, which is cool because I find myself thinking about it a lot. And then it's funny, I'm surrounded at work by like these just crazy Skyrim players who played all these other Bethesda games, and um, they're all just insane over it. So it's kind of funny because like, I'm like, well, I killed a dragon, and this guy's like, oh, no, I'm on my 18th dragon now. <laughs> like, Holy cow, I didn't know there were so many in this game. So, you know, it's, it's pretty pretty cool. Um and that, that's been pretty much it. I've been playing a little bit more of that um, that Tower Defense Lost Earth game on my iPhone. Oh, wow, you went I, back to it. I, yeah, I got like through 10 more levels after I thought I'd hit the wall. It took me probably four weeks off and on to solve one of the maps to where I played it in hard mode, didn't lose any lives, didn't use any special abilities or anything like that. So. Um, after I got that one, the rest went pretty easy, but now I'm at another hard one. So. Well, speaking uh, of tower defense steam's 
autumnal sale is going on right now. Oh, and dear. a really cool, uh, I, I wish I had a phrase that I could sum this up in, but a really cool tower defense game that Scott and I got to play at PAX in Seattle is on sale for like, I think three bucks and 50 cents. It's called Orcs Must Die. And oh yeah. It's kind of got an evil dead feel to it. The main character is yeah. kind of Bruce Campbell-ish and he makes little snarky comments and you have just all these orcs that come along preset paths. And what you do is you get a certain amount of gold and you set up booby traps like uh, little uh, springboards that when the orcs pop, run over them, it pops them into there and dumps them into boiling lava or spike wall traps that will pop out or stuff that will drop down and crush them. And then those are usually not enough to to keep the orcs at base. You can run around with like this crossbow that shoots arrows of light. Yeah. And the thing is, is it's not totally reliable. So you can shoot like ding, 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 but there's a bit of a recoil. And so the arrows will kind of go in a random direction each time, but that you can run around and get right in the face of the monsters and shoot them down and watch your booby traps go off. It's really yeah. fun. It's so addictive. I actually, they didn't have a time limit on the demo back in Seattle and I was playing it and I kept playing it and I'm like, I've been here for 15 minutes now. I really need to stop and do something else. Yeah. I'm like, this game will be out soon enough. Well, it's it's on sale right now on Steam for 75% off. And plus, there's a couple of pieces of expansion pack that are like 40 cents and a dollar. So you can get the whole game for like five bucks. So highly recommend it if you hear this and you can still get it when you hear it. I think the sale runs through next Monday. So if I hopefully I'll get this episode up in time for you to hear this and go chase that down if you haven't already. But it's yeah. called Orcs Must Die. Highly recommend. You know, I've played it too, um, and uh, it's it's the thing that's really different about it is you are right in the mix, right? It's kind of almost like playing, um, oh, what's it called, uh, Serious Sam, sort of. Yeah, because it's just with, like war waves and waves and waves of yeah. monsters. But with yeah, but with all these cool like traps that you can just you know, used to destroy people. So I kind of, I, I kind of, I highly recommend it too. In fact, I just bought it while you were talking about it. Excellent. So. It sounded like you were slightly distracted. I'm like, I bet Mark's buying it right now. Yeah, it <laughs> it's just was. too good of a deal to pass up. Yeah, there's another, there's a new humble bundle out that looks pretty cool too. I haven't um, grabbed it, but it's it's looking pretty sweet. I don't know if you can get that on Steam or not, but I, I noticed it earlier today. Oh, there's something I was going to ask you about Skyrim. It's, it's something that I, I read that pop has been popping up on gaming enthusiast publications on the internet lately. But how much have you gotten into managing the details of your home? Oh, I don't have one yet, so I'm not. You know, I'm not that far along. I haven't. Do you foresee yourself? I mean, just guessing how much you enjoy the the game so far. Do you foresee yourself really getting into like? decking out your home and arranging things just so on the shelves and all this other stuff, or are you going to be more of a person who will proceed forward with all the main quest objectives? Oh, no. I think I'll totally do the house thing just because <laughs> um, games like, uh, oh, geez, I can't, Minecraft and stuff, you know, where you get that customization. I just love that. So I'll, I will most likely spend quite a bit of time on my house. <laughs> I'm going to be surprised at all if I if I go a little crazy there. I think the two things about Skyrim's environment that just almost tempt me, but 
I remind myself, open world game, open world game, danger, danger. But it's just the combination of dragons, of course, because dragons are just freaking cool, and I've loved them since I was a little kid, which I think most people do like dragons. But the other thing is just the whole Nordic landscape, essentially, and then pretty much the entire game is like this Norwegian-Swedish-type environment that's just beautiful. Right, right. I think that's one of the things that I really like, too. I I just love the... um just the look and feel of it and especially when you're outside wandering around it's just just gorgeous you know i mean i, I don't know i i uh there's something about it that's, that's really compelling for me so i i don't know gets gets me going i suppose kind of reminds me of like the nordic area in um wrath of the lich king but done like you know kind of more photorealistic yeah yeah so, very impressive game it's getting incredible reviews, but it's living up to it for me. So. Time to dig deep into the mailbag for a new email from Scott. This is a little lengthy, but hey, that he took the time on his satellite internet to write us this. We'll try try to make yeah. sure we give him his due because it's always great to hear from Scott. Hola, it's me again. Just got caught up with episodes that I'd been missing. Things are getting real busy due to the fact we are getting out of Afghanistan here pretty soon. I can't say exactly when or I'll get my ass kicked by people that can literally ruin my life. But I'm going to be going, I'm going to be home sometime during the beginning of the year. Just in case you were curious. Hey. Anyway, I've been. We were. What? We were very curious. We were, yeah. I mean, it just seemed like it was endless deployment, in my opinion. Yeah. Anyway, I've been downloading DC Universe online for about a week, and I have 500 megabytes till I complete. Most MMOs are pretty laggy when I play them from here. I usually have 30k latency, play for 15 seconds, cuss my computer out, and move on to the next one. EverQuest 2, however, is pretty consistent with around 800 millisecond latency, which is pretty darn playable. I'm hoping that DCUO, since it's SOE also, is similar. You guys asked if anyone wanted to play. So sign me up, homies. I'll give it a go or at least log in and pretend to play while feebly attempting to make e-friends. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I wanted to make a comment on the upcoming Game of Thrones action RPG. After reading the books and seeing the first couple of episodes of the television show, I think that it would be insanely difficult to put the essence of that world into anything that is interactive media. The way that all the houses and the individuals within those houses all scheme and push for power, it'd be nuts. You'd pretty much have to code the ability to do whatever the heck you wanted. As someone who knows about programming, at least enough to get myself in trouble. I really don't see how that would work. Of course, there is a reason why I'm not getting paid oodles of cash to create that kind of stuff. In my eyes, they should either take a long time and develop a Blizzard style or just leave it alone. I hate to say it, but I'm getting the feeling that these Game of Thrones games are just being pushed out to make a quick buck. These devs just seem to be jumping on that train and riding it while the popularity is there from the television show. Just like 99.9% of all those cheap-ass movie-based games that get shit reviews but smile all the way to the bank because Mom bought Little Billy that copy of Iron Man for Christmas due to the fact he enjoyed the movie. Scott C. Well, well said, Scott. You know, when you get back, if you have any time, we'd love to have you join us for an episode or two. Yeah, definitely. Because um, you always come up with things that really ring true to me, such as the whole cashing in on the Game of Thrones cow. That That is just so annoying to see, you know, two now that are, well, one's out and one's coming. And the first one, the RTS, certainly didn't uh, make make a 
a big impact yeah. other than a negative impact. Which is a shame because they did try to do something novel, yeah. but I think they were just out of their uh, out of their element. Yeah, I think so, and it's just really a bummer because I would love to have seen it done correctly. You know, yeah. as he says, the programming would be pretty difficult, but you know, who knows? I mean, people. I think it's feasible. I mean, look so. at all the Bioware's RPGs with all of their dialogue trees and character morality shifting and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. It may not be as deep be as, cool. as to allow you infinite flexibility, but close to give you a reasonable yeah. realm to play with them. Well, if you play Civilization, I mean, you know, all the different factions are out to screw everyone else over. Yeah. To different. So I think it could be done. Like I've always said, though, I think it should be turn-based and not RTS-based, but um, that way you could have more depth in the diplomacy side, mm-hmm. you know. I can't imagine what real-time diplomacy would would actually be like, <laughs> hurling insults and, and praise at your opponents, you know? <laughs> Someday there will be a game that does it, and I will be I know. totally in launch day line for that game. <laughs> all, to, all to a dubstep soundtrack. Be, so, uh, just to make that image complete. <laughs> but yeah, thanks for writing in, Scott. We'll definitely look for you in DCUO. Um, Eric is... Uh, insanely um into dcuo and has the creeping darkness a guild up and running for channel massive listeners so you know i think i'm gonna actually be able to try it on both ps3 and pc after all because uh, my buddy evan who's on ps3 and just wanting me to fully embrace it even though he seems to forget and neglect that i have a, a vast experience in many years with my 360 and i don't Intend to jump ship on so many things that from an investment, some would say. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But apparently, he said that I can get DCU completely free. I don't have to buy the retail game like I thought before I could start playing the game. So I'm going to check that out. Yeah, you have to let me know because I loved playing it with the PS3 controller when we tried it out at three. It was really cool. That was cool. Yeah. Listeners and Scots around the world. (laughs) <laughs> because we have unite. a lot of them <laughs> listening to the Shoplifters show. Shoplifters unite. Scott's Worldwide, we call yeah. on you to write into our our show. And if your name isn't Scott, you're also heavily encouraged to write in. Send in Absolutely. your emails, your thoughts about Game of Thrones games or any of these upcoming things we're just about to talk about regarding the future of video yes. games, the technology and the delivery of them will be the flavors of right. this episode. Send all that into mail. M-A-I-L. At channelmaster.com. We always look forward to hearing from you. So we do have a common theme this evening, which is the... Wait, let me do that again. So we do have a common theme this evening, which is the future. <laughs> and um, so we're going to talk about... Um, well, among other things, subscription gaming, um, crazy new developments in contact lens-based graphics. And I think we'll also talk about, tangentially, some really hard games that have been put out and what the future might hold regarding that, and if it's a good idea or not. Um, Do you want to dig in with the really hard games? Yeah, this is a really great list. It's over on IGN. 
The article is titled 15 Really, Really, Really Hard Games. And in general, I would agree with many of the choices in here. And I have definitely <laughs> subjected myself or victimized myself with a majority of these games, with only a few exceptions, such as X-Men on the Genesis, Radiant, Silver Gun on the Saturn, because, well, you know, I just didn't get into Sega until the Dreamcast came out. All right. Ninja Gaiden, also Ninja Gaiden Black. The first one was hard enough. I didn't want to come back into it and play a harder version of that. Right, right. But what's what is an inter- interesting point that Mark is bringing up is that the oldest game on here, I would say, is probably Robotron 2084, which I, I kind of think of as the original dual-stick dual shooter. Yeah, absolutely. Where you're just a little stick man in the middle of the screen, and there's all these other evil stick men coming at you, and you maneuver around with one joystick, and you shoot with the other one. Right. And darn it. The game is hard. <laughs> you know, it, it, was, it was even hard when it was an arcade game. Um, and definitely the Atari 5200 didn't do anything to make it easier. And, yeah, it was just insane in it. You know, it started out fairly difficult and then went from there to just crazy time, you know. Um, I remember I had a I had a cheap knockoff of it for the Vic 20 back in the old days that was called Seamus, which was oh, also I remember that. incredibly difficult and had... You know, it had more rooms dividing things, but it was the same kind of thing. And I would just play the hell out of that. And I, I, I think about it now and think, man, I must have had like an incredibly high skill level or was just a total like masochist as far as gaming went because <laughs> I would play it for hours and, and, you know, keep going. But just the barrier to entry was so high as far as, you know, getting through those first few maps and stuff. Um, Ghost and Goblins comes ranks in as number two, which was a 1986 NES game. Yeah, that game was so freaking hard. Yeah, I like the summary they put in. Uh, Ghost and Goblins makes cursing and throwing your controller in frustration a normal activity. It was like perhaps the most unforgiving platformer of all time. God. Yeah, it's like two hits, you're dead. Totally yeah. lame. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you just... You, and, and it seemed like there was nothing you could do to, like, make yourself more hardy, you know? It was just, uh Um They also have NetHack, which is a 1987 PC game, which is pretty much all done with um, characters, set characters. So not a remapped character set, but seriously, hashes, greater than signs, dots. Periods. Periods. Pipes. Pipes. <laughs> underscores. Yeah. Um, <laughs> It's my opinion that, you know, it was kind of like the precursor to Diablo because basically it was just this crazy, um, you know, RPG where you went into these dungeons and you just kept going farther and farther and, you know, into the depths and, and uh, it just seemed like it could go on. Forever. And there's just so much risk and then there'd be potions, but just because it's potion doesn't mean it's helpful. Yeah. You could drink it and oh, you die. Yeah. It was it was it was crazy. I like I like the summary for this. Drink an un, un oh, excuse me. Drink an unidentified potion. Dead. Encounter a cute little kitten. Dead. Equip unidentified boots that once equipped you realize are cursed. Dead. <laughs> yeah. Um, I can't speak to Contra. I don't know. Did you play that one much? I didn't. Oh yeah, played that quite a bit <laughs> on the NES. That's the thing between Contra and Ghosts and Goblins. They're games that I really wanted to play just because I loved the thematic tropes of them, Ghosts and Goblins being very medieval fantasy with dragons and 
ghouls and goblins and monsters and Contra being this cool sci-fi takedown evil alien base that's masquerading as a, a mercenary army outpost. Just really fun, but freaking so punishing. But it's like it, I'd still come back to it again and again because of the theme of the game was oh, so yeah. appealing. You liked the setting a lot. Yeah, so I was willing to endure the punishment because it felt like well, it, more so with Contra than with Ghosts and Goblins. I always get Ghosts and Goblins mixed up with Ghouls and Ghosts. But oh, right. with Contra, it was just hard enough where it felt like, I just need to get used to it. I just need to try it one more time, and then I'll learn that pattern. Or I'll, you know, I'll learn not to st- stay too long on this particular platform because I'll get shot. And so it just invite, it, it taunted you to try it. Just one more time, and you get a little bit further. You might live a little bit longer. You might hold on to that spread gun power up just a little bit longer. But it was really a quarter cruncher. I mean, it, it was at the arcades, and it was just as punishing there. But still oh, fun. Yeah. yeah, totally. But God, um, let's see what was next on that list. The Battletoads. Uh, Battletoads. Did you play that much? I didn't. I didn't play that one. That was when I got into because I never really understood the fascination with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And so it was kind of like counterculture to me to give Battletoads a try. And it it got a lot of publicity blitz from Nintendo Power, which I subscribed to as a child. And, you know, not a big surprise because Nintendo was publishing this game and they're like, wow, it's just so cool. And it just sounded so quirky. It's this sci-fi game where you play these th- one of these three different Toad anthropomorphic toad dudes it's kind of like dungeons and dragons you or i'm sorry dungeons and dragons double dragon where you run from left to right and then they'd mix it up with like a speeder segment or different types of gameplay and you fight against this voluptuous evil queen who looks like jessica rabbit with black hair instead of red and it just got goofy humor and like wow this sounds like it's got so much personality going for it but oh frick so hard so freaking hard. Not the fun kind of hard like Contra. Just like annoying hard. Like holes you fall down, you die. You oh. start over from the very beginning. I, the only thing I really liked playing through was just the first level. Because at the end of the first level, they did something that was really atypical at the time for the game. Especially for action games. When you got to the boss, the toad that you were playing. And they could, I think you could play up to three toads at once their jaws would drop down to the ground like Looney Tunes style, <laughs> and their eyes would bug out, which was really uncommon for an 8-bit right. game to have that little extra flourish put in. And then what happens is you fight that boss from the boss's perspective. You're actually looking through the eyes of this giant robot boss. Oh, how wild. And you, you see it shooting at you. And so you're watching yourself through the visor, the viewing visor of, I think it's some kind of like Walker type thing. It's kind of like a ATAT from Star Wars. But you watch your characters through the, from the boss's point of view, and you try to kill the boss from their perspective. It's just so creative and clever. But it just was so hard after that point that I always gave up. Wow. I um did you play the X-Men game? X-Men Genesis from 1993 got a listed here as well. I I never played it on the Genesis, but I did get it. I think I have it for the Xbox Arcade. Yeah, I can't believe that? that the game actually asked you to reset your console in order to proceed and that you had to rely on pressing the reset button just right without actually resetting your entire system. That's so cruel cuz yes. you saw your progress doing that. Yeah, you'd have to start from scratch. So brutal. 
Yeah. Um, Radiant Silver Gun, did you play that? I never played that one. No, this is from Treasure, who makes really kick-butt shmups, you know, the vertically scrolling spaceship down a corridor. Right. Bullet hell, that's what it is, yeah. Those types of games. And I've never been particularly patient or good enough with those. I wanted to really try Ikaruga, which was a successor to this game. Mm-hmm. But I just knew I'd be wasting my money because it'd be like Battletoads. Play through one level several times, never pick up the game again. Oh, yeah, yeah. This one, I am, I'm sure you must have played Metal Gear Solid. Yeah, this was one of my questionable... This is one of the entries that I questioned being on this list. Just and it, it's, They seem to kind of put, put it down to like, well, this was like the first stealth game of all time, which it wasn't. But I guess for a lot of console gamers it was, and so... The writer posits that this is a difficult game because most you didn't you weren't used to playing a game stealthily, and then there's of course the infamous and super awesome Psycho Mantis boss who was cool but he wasn't impossible. Right. I mean, I got really far in the game. I didn't finish it admittedly, but I got almost to the end and I never really felt like, oh my gosh, this is so hard. I felt like it was really stressful. And like when the guards would see you and you hear that, it's like, oh my god, oh my god, and oh. the people's court bongos start playing. Because that's what it was, it sounded like. That's the suspense chase music. And I'm like, gotta find a place to hide, gotta find a place to hide so that the guards will forget about me. That was what stuck with me more than like, oh my gosh, this is so punitively hard. Right, right. Still a super game, otherwise. Yeah, yeah, most people would agree. It's one of the best. Um,. Let's see, there's a couple. Of, I'm not going to go through all of them. Um, unless there's some that you. You, you want to talk about that you were... No, I would just say that I definitely agree with F-Zero GX being super hard, Dead Rising being ridiculously hard. Trials HD is hard, but it's just so good oh, and easy to restart. I love that um, game, though. That is yeah. really fun. Super Meat Boy, I've never played it. I don't get the appeal of it. You can play it on the internet. Yeah. It's just a really crude, crude platformer that for some reason people like it. And it is hard. It's stupid hard, and it's stupid because it's hard. <laughs> so um, is there one game you can think of that really should have been on this list that wasn't? Oh, gosh, that's a good question. I would say Henry Hatsworth on the DS. Oh, really? kicked my butt. And it's, it's, you know, it's a regular old side-scrolling platforming game where you right, right. stomp monsters. But the twist is, is because it's on DS, the top screen is a side-scrolling platform game. The bottom screen is a match three bejeweled type thing where the tiles are constantly rising up in from the bottom screen into the top screen. And if they do that, they turn into these monsters to start kicking your butt. Oh, so God. you have to stop what you're doing up on the top screen so that you can clear tiles out on the bottom screen and get power-ups, but also prevent monsters from resurrecting and kicking your butt up on the top screen. Right, right. Hard. And just, I mean, just the platforming and the bosses especially kicked my butt. Hard game, right. but fun. Mine would be uh, Turrican. Oh, I remember you telling me stories, your epic stories yeah. about Turrican. Which would just take, you know, each uh, to play full uh, a full game, you know, from beginning to epic boss win would take hours. And if you died, you know, you know, it always it always started from scratch. So you you know you <laughs> sit down and just know that to finish it, you had several hours of playing ahead of you, and there was no way to save it. <laughs> You just had to go. Um, it had all these things that were hidden. And it's really funny because I played it, you know, the last time I played it seriously, it was like 20 years ago. And I played it recently and was shocked at how much stuff I remembered, like little 
secret things, you know, hidden and, you know, invisible Probably because you grinded through that game, didn't you? I did. I mean, it was just one of those few games where I was fully invested and, you know, made it to the end and got to where I could do, you know, not only was I happy to just get to the end, but I could do it really fast. I got, like, almost to the point of doing speed runs through it, you know. So um, that was, for me, a really tough one that, you know, I think is worth mentioning. And then my damn, my damn, uh, Tower Defense uh, Lost Earth uh, game is, yes. <laughs> is up there. <laughs> you know what? Mirror's Edge would probably be worth mentioning here because oh, yeah. that game, punching, jumping, and crouching were all controlled by the shoulder buttons. You didn't use the face buttons. That's nuts. And yet you were still using the left analog stick to run and the right analog stick to look around. And then you're also doing that in tandem with using L1, L2, R1, R2, to jump and duck and roll and shoot and just like what the heck? Yeah, really weird. Cool. And what also spawned this article was the recent release of Demon Souls, which is a sequel to Dark Souls from last year, which are apparently super notoriously awfully difficult hard games, where you it's kind of a dungeon grind type of game, kind of like Diablo, I suppose, from third person perspective. Right. And it, it brings up Mark's prior. Question, I'm not sure if this was actually stated while recording or not, but is it a smart idea for developers to make games that are good but are also incredibly hard? And I would say no, it's not a smart idea. I think that there is the occasional time where a game like Demon's Souls or Dark Souls gets notorious and it gets a lot of praise in the video game press because of its difficulty and therefore people buy it because they want to try it out because like, oh, I bet I can play this game. It's not going to challenge me. And then the game is well made enough that lots of people buy it. But then you also have games like Henry Hatsworth, which is a great example that's really hard and should have broad appeal, but doesn't catch on. I think there's a lot more hard games out there that haven't sold a lot, then there are easy games. And if you look at games today, you don't have to read the manual anymore. You get tutorials in pretty much any game you start. It's it's all built in. There's lots of difficulty levels, whereas there wasn't much with the difficulty levels when we were initially started gaming. And I, I think because games are easier, that's made it easier for the mass market to embrace them, and more games get made, more games get sold, and that's because they're easy. I think making a hard game could be just as much a kiss of death as trying to make a really brand new, weird, unique IP that nobody understands and also doesn't buy, regardless of how great it is or how easy or hard it is. Right. I, I think, I think some games are hard because of bad design. Um, (laughs) That's very true. I think also that some games um, become beloved by their players because of something reminiscent of Stockholm syndrome, which is where people who are held hostage by, you know, terrorists or some lunatic or something over a long period of time can start to develop empathy and to start to sympathize with their kidnapper or their, you know, the person that's keeping them, keeping them, uh, you know, tied up or whatever. And so I think it's almost similar to that. You're like this game, this freaking game is just, so hard i'm having so much trouble and you but you're you know you want to get past whatever it is for you know the the reward and you start to develop this almost like an it's almost a loyalty to this game that maybe is broken or, 
or maybe, you know, is just made, you know, intentionally to be incredibly difficult. But I think it's, I don't, I wouldn't say it's good or bad. I'd say it's a perilous road to take because you could alienate your player base. Um, you, you know, there's a lot of things that are possible, you know, um, downsides to it, but it could also be that game that has, you know, that level of depth to it that it can be really hard and it does take a whole new skill set to basically survive it, you know, or to, to, to thrive in it. So I don't know. I think it's a perilous path and I, I, I don't know that I'd say without question, it's a bad idea. I just think it's a, it's a, it's a complicated endeavor to take on. So not for the faint of heart to play or to develop. <laughs> <laughs> also talked about concept of subscription gaming and when i was going through the show notes tonight i noticed uh, a separate article about a subscription based idea by big fish games um for the which their platform of choice is ios right and they came up with this monthly subscription model where for 699 um some something similar to apple's newsstand interface you could have unlimited access of all of big fish's games it's well, a lot of games. What's interesting is, you know, the games are fairly inexpensive if bought, um, you know, one at a time. So I guess the question is, is it, would it really be, you know, worth it to you? Because three months could go by and then you're up to, you know, 21 bucks. And I don't know how many games they have total, but, you know, it wouldn't take long to have spent the money that you could have, you know, kind of owned them as much as you can own any game for that platform. Um, anyway, I thought, well, that's going to appeal to some, but I don't know if it'll appeal to everyone. But in, within the same day that it was announced that they were going to offer this subscription, Apple has rescinded the offer or ability for them to do that. They've pulled the plug, and it's gone from a green light to a, how would you call it, a flashing red or just a solid red? I'd say it's a solid red. I solid think red. Yeah. I think they're they're done. So <laughs> that was one interesting turn of events. But in general, we're talking about, you know, gaming being um, something that's provided on a subscription-based model, similar to what Rhapsody or Spotify does for for music, where you can have access to a vast catalog of gaming that you play with like say a client or um oh what's the uh on live you know you device that you can hook up we can have you know access to this huge catalog for a monthly fee but you don't actually own the games you're just kind of renting them sort of yeah um but they're all right there at your fingertips and the question is you know this is something that people are continuing to try to develop as a product are people going to buy it? Is it, are we at the, are we at the dawning of the age of Aquarius here where <laughs> it's going to make sense or is it something that's going to fall flat on its face? Um, you know, a lot of people have made predictions, but I'd, I'd be kind of curious to see what you think about it, Noah, because I, I, something about it for me, it just, it doesn't seem like, it, it feels almost intrinsically wrong to me, <laughs> but I don't know why. I, you know, I used to think free-to-play um, models were, were, were de- terribly wrong, and now I think that they're genius. So uh, I'd be curious to see what your take is. I think it would require a really big publisher like, I don't know, EA, 
or it would need to be bundled with an existing service for something like this to take off in any circumstance, such as let's say you go to get your data plan with your cell phone company and like, well, it's 60 bucks a month for two gigabytes of data usage. And if you bump it up to 70 bucks a month, you have unlimited access to all the games and such and such marketplace or library. Right. Mm-hmm. I could see people doing that. I, I have a hard time imagining right now, and it's certainly not impossible to imagine. It's not completely unlikely, but the idea of people paying a monthly fee to get access to a library of games seems a little weird. It doesn't seem as weird to me with something like music because music is so much more immediately gratifying and it doesn't require as much of a time investment. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know, but it's also like when you were bringing up how much money you could spend over three months time, how many games you actually could you have also bought for that same amount of money. Right. Subscriptions there, whether it's just the subscription to your gym or an MMO subscription, a lot of people will sign up for something like that and then be engaged with it for about a month and then forget about it. Right. And the company just continues to make money. I'm not sure how many people would actually take the time unless they were responsible about their budget. If they were halfway interested to take the leap, if they'd actually work out the math like you just were doing, Mark, and saying, well, wait a second, am I really going to be getting my money's worth out of this six months down the line? Right. Are there going to be enough games coming out? And I think that's a big challenge of a model like this is you need to have a constant flow of games. And I can't see a service that's subscription-based offering quality games that I'd actually be interested in playing. Because if it's just shovelware's junk on a phone... Right. It's just like, I couldn't even justify spending four bucks a month on that. I wouldn't want to. I mean, it's not yeah. stuff I want to waste my time on. The, you know, and it's kind of a, a, it's a double edged sword for the person providing the product. It's like, so you want to attract users to play it. So you can't, pro- let's just look at on live, for instance, which is the, you know, the, the first one that we were highly skeptical of and yet have seen that it actually works. But, you know, they don't, the games they have aren't, I mean, for me, they're not, none of them are like what I would want to play. They don't have Skyrim available. They didn't have it zero day. They won't. By the time that's available for their platform, if ever, you know, you could probably buy it on Steam or something with, you know, some digital distribution form for, you know, half of what it's at right now. Mm Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, 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 the thing I'm saying is to make it attractive to for pricing um, for their monthly price point that they have to be able to get these, like, AAA titles from the developer or the publisher, I should say, um, you know, zero day of, as far as launch goes seems almost impossible. There's, there's, there's really – they're competing almost with the publisher if they do that. So they don't want it. They're only going to make stuff available that's past its prime, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. So, and then, you know, trying to make that compelling for the, the subscriber, it's kind of a, it's a bit of a, a high wire act, I think. I, I don't see what the appeal would be, um, to even run a service like that. I, <laughs> I guess they've got it figured out. They've done the math that, 
you know, they can interest people still in playing Unreal Tournament 3 while everybody else is playing, like, Skyrim and, um, you know, the latest Battlefield or something like that. But, you know, it's it, for me, it's still not quite there until you have titles available on launch day um, for people to play and, ha- and can have multiples. So what if what if that had been available? What if, say... With OnLive, the day Skyrim launched and the day Battlefield 3 launched or whatever, you could have that all for $9.99. That would be, that would be worth it. But the way it is now, uh, to me, I don't see it as, you know, compelling enough to, to pay for it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I guess, I guess one argument would be not everybody, you know, has a gaming PC but would like to play these games or something or for the, for the iPhone, not everyone is, you know, or maybe people want to try a bunch before they buy. You know, the iPhone games don't seem to have that whole uh, what's new is new for a month and isn't exciting. It's more like you just discover them because the, the, the playing field is so swamped with mediocre games anyway. You know, I don't know that you can even identify a AAA iOS game at this point. Um, so maybe it's not as big of a deal there, but definitely for the PC gaming market or for Say you could make available PlayStation 3 or Xbox games or something like that. I I don't I don't know. I I find it really difficult to work out the numbers. Yeah, and I just worry that a situation like that would contribute to a decrease in quality of yeah. games. Yeah. Just overall, don't get me wrong. There are a ton of really fantastic downloadable games out there, which would be prime candidates for a service like this and. I would love to have those just bundled up. And in fact, I get them through Steam. Usually yeah. Steam sales, they bundle up all those fantastic downloadable games into a 20 buck deal. And it's like, sold. I'll get and all they, 10 of those games. And it's all a pipe dream, too, because you'll never play them. That's how I feel. I, like, yeah. I, like have this most, I have the most awesome, complete collection of some of the best games ever made for the PC with Steam that I will never get around to playing. I can literally not keep up with the game, the, the limited amount of discretionary time I have to play games. I cannot keep up with the games that are coming out, especially if you take into account console games, iOS games, Droid games. You know what I mean? It's like, it's it's too much as it is. <laughs> I just, I don't know. I, I guess, though, I'm not your typical gaming fanatic. So, you know, I'm a fanatic and I think about it all the time, but I don't have the, the time to play them all, so. Yeah. But you never will either. I mean, you'll... Oh, gosh, no. There's no way that I'm sitting here thinking, well, I will. It's just <laughs> completely unrealistic. <laughs> when you retire, you'll have this huge Steam library. Exactly. I'll, I'll be ready to power up my 40- or 50-year-old laptop. Well, by, yeah, because right with what we discussed last week with Moore's Law starting to break down, you'll have this uh, heirloom laptop that uh, will still be playing the games. So we have one last interesting development for the future of video games, potentially. Yeah. I, it was just a simple little story on Gama Sutra, but it tapped into so many memories of awesome sci-fi movies and books from being a little kid all the way up to today. And that is technology has been developed to display a single pixel of light within a contact lens placed on your eye. It's only one pixel, so obviously there's not a lot of... You can't even do Minecraft with that. 
<laughs> but close, close. It is the very first point. It's the very first dot in any Minecraft right. game, a single pixel. And it just means that the technology is there. And this is an instance where I hope Moore's Law, some parallel version of it, would be in effect because if they've already got it one pixel, that means that full color, full grid displays of screens that would appear in a contact on your eye are around the corner. The scientists behind the technology say that it's going to be many years before that happens, but they're working on it. It's like battery powered from a battery that's not even within the contact. It's a couple centimeters away, I guess. I'm not sure exactly how it all completely works. Yeah, but, that was the part that that was the like first thing that came to mind was I was like, oh, that's so nice. You've got this like contact lens that then is connected with like these two wires to a nine volt battery that you have to put in like your shirt pocket, and God help you if you trip because it's gonna yank that thing out of your eye. And then it's like, no, they figured that out too. You know, they've got this thing called a power harvester, which looks to me like it goes on the outside of the lens and is just going to like grab the the um, energy from a battery that's up within two centimeters of distance. So I think you um, two centimeters not being very far, no. you have to mount the battery um, on top of your nose, basically, or in your eyebrow, or in your <laughs> eyebrow. Let's <laughs> tape. You'll you'll you will have you battery will tape eyebrows. A battery over each eye on your eyebrow, and uh, <laughs> it'll look it'll look very sophisticated. All in all, I believe. But it just it seems really cool. It gets into that whole concept that's explored in the recent what what is it? It's not System Shock or is it System Shock or no uh, Deus Ex? The whole oh, right. cybernetic modification concept. So. Maybe we won't see within our lifetimes true holographic displays where television screens are just floating in midair with not a single surface that they're being projected upon. But maybe we will see within our lifespans the ability to have these semi-transparent holographic displays appear based on augmentations that are implanted in our eyes or within contacts that we've placed on our eyes. And it's just really freaking exciting to think like, wow, it could be so cool to surf the internet without even a computer, let alone a tablet or anything else. It's just it's right there on your eye, and you just use voice commands or gestures to use it. But I also imagine it could be really bad for productivity. It could be very distracting <laughs> when you're driving. There could be lots of dangerous uses of it that would put your life at risk, but it still freaking excites me. And it makes me wonder, Mark, would you be willing to start trying to wear contacts or put a contact in your eyes since Mark has perfect vision and I do not. Would you be willing to do that if you could get holographic video display out of it? Oh, I'm sure I'd figure out a way to overcome my fear of putting things near my eyes. <laughs> I, I would. I mean, if it had that upside to it, I would definitely try and figure it out. Um, and I think it'd be really cool. I think though they'll come up with something better than this. I mean, I, problem I have with it is it's just it's kind of hacktastic, you know. <laughs> it's kind of Frankenstein-y. <laughs> yeah, you know, like having something that can, um, you know, give you a heads-up display. I mean, it could just be, you know, people don't have. Well, actually, let me tell you, there's a company that makes these ski goggles. I'll have to look it up while I blabber on here. But there are these ski goggles that have a heads-up display powered by an Android. And so 
so here's what happens. It gives you basically augmented reality. You are, say you're on a snowboard and you hit a jump, it calculates your hang time in the air, the distance that you were up off the ground, all that stuff real time with this cool heads-up display. It also allows you to, you can take phone calls while you're using it. You can, um, you can, um, it's got an, it's an MP3 player. You don't, you know, you don't control it with your eyes or anything. There's actually a, a little <laughs> thing you use with your hand, but <laughs> you control it with your just, eyebrows. <laughs> yeah. One of the heads up displays, the map of the slope you're on, where all you've wow, been, cool. um, you know, what your elevation is, um, weather conditions. I mean, it's, it's really, really advanced for an initial launch of a product. And I mean, that's in existence now. You could do the same thing with, um, something more inconspicuous like glasses or sunglasses too, you know. That's very true, actually. I hadn't even thought about that. That and you could do this technology definitely within a pair of glasses, and it'd be a lot easier to mount the battery on the glasses right. versus on your face. Yeah, because I mean, basically, the way they've talked about this in in other um, other um, publications I've read is just you know basically sending an image directly to your retina. Which is essentially, it's shining a light on your eye, but that light is actually the image that you're trying to see. So instead of having a contact lens with pixels stuck on your eye that's going to move all around, um, you could have this thing just, you know, make available this beam of light that you, you can't help but see. It doesn't have to blind you. It doesn't have to be, you know, totally opaque or whatever and totally, you know, blinding. But it could be, you know, done in a way where you could actually see what's going on. So, I don't know. It's, you know, the technology is already there. We're, we've got really good miniaturization. We've got, you know, the ability to do all this real-time stuff with, like, the Android platform or the iOS or whatever on a, you know, small footprint. But, I, yeah, I just, I don't think I, I don't like the contact. <laughs> 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 Unless it makes my eyes red, which would be cool too, if like you had a, if you could like totally control your eye color with it as well. So maybe like mood, like a mood ring, but for your eye. <laughs> so, anyway, kind of cool stuff though. I mean, really. Yeah, listeners, you should tell us what you think. Would you be into holographic displays on contacts in your eye? And are you into the idea of paying X dollars a month for? Unlimited access to a selection of video games. Yeah, and do you think there's a way it could really work and be compelling and, and make for, you know, mass market appeal as opposed to what we're seeing it kind of today? Yeah. Send those thoughts into mail. M-A-I-L. At ChannelMassive.com. That is the end of episode 175 of Channel Massive. Thank you very much for downloading and listening all the way through to the end with me and Mark. We really appreciate it. We should be having some special guests coming back in the rotation very soon on the show. Yeah, that's right. Not that Mark and I aren't occasionally entertaining, <laughs> but we like to have other people come in on here too because there's some really cool people that have been on the show so far, and we'd love to have those some of those folks back again and bring even other guys out here. Like, maybe we can get Scott from Afghanistan, like you were suggesting. Oh, yeah. That would be awesome. That would be really cool. We hope, otherwise, that you've been having a great holiday weekend if you're in North America, or otherwise, you're just having a good weekend. And we will be back next week. Best podcast in the world.
World of Warcraft for ten years. If I can't play Diablo 3 soon, I might just kill myself.